you will hear people talk about it, predestination, election, that God chooses people. You'll hear people talk about that. Heaven can't be mass marketed. That's what they're talking about. That for people to have eternal life, God has to work individually every, in every heart just as he chooses. People talk these days about accepting Christ, but the real issue is whether he has accepted you, whether he knows that you have met the conditions by which a human is allowed into his heaven. Um, what does that look like? What does it look like when God chooses a person and begins to deal directly with his heart? The story this morning will answer that question for us. It's familiar to you, but probably not in these same terms. It's the story of Nicodemus. So I'm going to ask you to stand and let's read together. If you came in this morning and you do not have a listening sheet, you just didn't know that little secret rule of this church, raise your hand, please. A member is going to give you theirs. We want you to be a part of this. Okay, here we go. Read aloud with a great voice. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify according to men, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, be seated and take your Bible and find John chapter 3, please. It was nighttime in Jerusalem uh, after a very tense day in the capital city. Jesus that very day had cleansed the temple. The people were angry. The city was anxious. Nobody knew where this was going to go. There had been a few converts during that day, people who said they believed that Jesus was the Messiah or that Jesus had come from God. It's a little indefinite what they exactly they were professing. But Jesus was not convinced. Verse 23 of chapter 2, they believed in him. Verse 24, he did not believe in them. Now look at me, everybody. In the Greek, those verbs are the same. It essentially says, they believed in Jesus, but he did not believe in them. Salvation is like marriage. It requires both signatures on the certificate, yours and his. Uh, he was not convinced these people had anything more than just some sort of superficial understanding of who he was. He was not committing himself. He did not believe that they were what they said they were. These are the people to whom the Lord will later say, I never knew you. 
Uh, you were active in church. You were around church things. But the truth is there'd been no real connectivity of your soul with mine. You believed enough to satisfy yourself or others' expectations, but not enough to satisfy the great God that you are what he wants you to be. But, but there was one man. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1, chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. That little Greek word that's translated probably in your text as now is D-E-Day. And it's as often in Greek translated, but it's a disjunctive conjunction. Did you want to know that? I don't know that anybody wanted to know that. It separates. It points out contrast. Here's what it's essentially saying. All these people, and he didn't believe them, but there was this man, and he was very different. He was a very different story. All these other folks were just listening to Jesus at some superficial level. This man came to him at night, and you can tell by everything he says, he's fascinated, he's hungry, he is ready. Everybody else gets nothing. Jesus doesn't say much more to them. To this man, he literally pours out his heart. Out of his mouth comes these unspeakable truths of spiritual reality. That's how you know somebody's chosen. Uh, God speaks to them, and they listen. Or you can do it in the reverse. They speak to God, and he listens to them. The real proof that you are chosen of the Lord is that he deals with you, and you deal with him, that you hear him. There's a connectivity of your souls, a communication, a real relationship, a oneness. And you cannot do it through religious observance. I mean, that's, it's, there's no substitute. Jesus has just cleansed the temple of the most religious nation of the world at that time, and he said that is not what we're talking about. We are not talking about religious observance. We're talking about a real, vibrant relationship with the eternal God. And that's how you know and prove that you're chosen. So that night, as the disciples watch, Jesus opens up his heart and outflows from this bright mind these brilliant word pictures. Now, he's trying to get Nicodemus to perceive life in different categories. He's He's trying to get this man to think and see through a very different filter. And so he does it through word pictures. The first one is born again. You must be born again, new birth. Everybody's been around birth. Everybody knows essentially what that talk means. For the past two weeks, Holly and I have been with Madeline Gray Guthrie. She's two, weeks, she's two months old. She's our third granddaughter, and as you might know, she's soft, she's sweet, she's tiny, and she's fragile. But already, you can feel it, Maddie is pressing forward along an unseen road. It's set in her DNA. It's, it's set in her physical life. She's alive. Uh, she doesn't have to think about it. The same God that gave her fingernails and taught her to cry and give her the ability to uh, uh, her, her hunger, now he's teaching her to hold up her little head or to pe see people with her eyes or smile. She's pressed forward by an agenda that isn't hers. Life carries that agenda. In the same way, everybody, you must be born again from above so that a new agenda comes into your life. 
uh, in, with the same developmental power. It's the work of God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus says you must be born again, he actually translates a Greek word that says you born from above. The direct and real intervention of God in your life. That's what you need. That's the base requirement for being in the kingdom. God has got to get involved with your life and you have got to get involved with his. There's this joining of hearts. That's what has to happen. It's not something you can control or create. It's a, something that pulls you forward to be a holy friend of God and um, qualifies you for the spiritual life. Now, if Nicodemus is confused, it is because natural men never have this dream. Natural men do not imagine that over the course of my life, I will come to share life with God, that I would be his partner, his friend, his son, his child. His, we, we just don't imagine life. We imagine that God would come help us do our thing, but we never imagined that we would join lives and find unity in God and that we would be reconciled that way. Do you mean, said Nicodemus that night, there's a new me that's waiting to be born? A, 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 a me that is ready for heaven, a me that is qualified for spiritual life? Yes, said Jesus. That's exactly what I mean. Maybe as they talked, a gust of wind blew through that chamber and so... Jesus took him in a different direction. Said Nicodemus, let's talk about water and wind. Um, it's not really different in the, in the Greek language. The word for wind and the word for spirit are the same. They don't have two different words. So this wind blows through and Jesus says, see, Nicodemus, there is a power at work in the world that you can't see, but that doesn't mean it's not powerful. It's at work all around you. You see the evidence of it. And people who are born again have simply been animated, directed, enlivened by that invisible spirit. Uh, that's what must happen. But don't do it go too quickly. Before you can be born of the spirit, that's the message of Jesus, you need to be born of water, which was the message of John the Baptist. A little, a little backwards. Not many months before this, John the Baptist has appeared in Israel, and he said, you guys have sinned. You've, you have failed God. You have failed to be what God wants you to be. And you need to come out here and be washed clean. This is a symbol of your repentance and your acknowledgement of your sin. Well, the Pharisees did not appreciate that. They kind of liked Israel. They were pretty proud. They, they liked everything about it. And so the Pharisees as a whole did not respond to John. They just... You could just see him listening to John the Baptist preach. Now, thousands of other people did. So Jesus is here saying, Nicodemus, if you're too proud for John, you're too proud for me. Uh, the only way people can get forward in this life is to face up to your sin. If you, if you cannot admit what a wreck the human race has done of this planet, how cruel we've been, how selfish, how stubborn how inward, if you can't admit that and that you've been a part of it, then there's really no way forward. And so you have to be born of water and of the Spirit, uh, says Jesus. And I think Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about. You see, the liberty and activity of God comes only to the humble. If you think you're all right, 
then you can never get better. The only way to ever get better is to admit you're sick and that you're part of this whole rebellion that's happened. Can you imagine Nicodemus, will you? Uh, the God who created the world is as infinite in his holiness as he is in his power. He does not wink at sin. He is not tolerant. He does not understand it the way that people want him to understand sin. What he does instead is call men to repent and come to him in great mercy and power to cleanse your life. Come to me. Do not pretend that you're okay. See that nothing is okay, not in terms of what God wanted the world to be. Admit that, and then I will deal with your sin and fill you with my own spirit. Will you be baptized, Nicodemus? Will you confess your sin and your need? And then will you be filled with the Spirit of God and invisible presence of the world that will teach you new places to move? You lose control of your life. You don't get to be the boss of your life anymore. You now join in your hands with this great God, and he directs you. Anybody want that life? So in this upper chamber, this dramatic conversation happens. He talks about wind and water. Then the Lord presses the ideas in a different way. He talks about a dead snake in Numbers 21. Nicodemus knew this story. By the way, those very foolish people who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Old Testament, they've never read Jesus. Jesus believed in the Old Testament, every part of it. And so this night, he's going to go to Numbers 21. You know the story, maybe. The Israelites are doing what they do. They're complaining. They're griping. They're taking the victim status. Makes God angry. He sends snakes. They're biting them. They're dying. And he says to Moses, I want you to make a, a bronze snake, hold it up on a pole, and to get healed, you just need a miracle. You just look. Now, watch this, everybody. You don't have to cure yourself of the disease of sin. You just have to admit that it's there. The way to get better is to admit what has caused this whole thing. Just look. Just own it. Just take it in for what it is. And then, then Jesus does something completely unforeseen. He says, and my brother, I am that snake. What Moses held up in the wilderness years ago, that dead snake, is about to be me. I'll be lifted up, and he's talking about the cross, and people who look to me and finally get all the messages that are there in that cross, that men have sinned, that God loved us in our sin, that he sent his son to give us his life. You, you look at that cross long enough, and you will be saved. And um, not by anything you do, it's just by looking there. And what if, uh, I, this is new to me, what if years ago in Numbers 21, the um, snake was not, the bronze snake was not fierce and fangs showing. What if he's dead? Limp hanging there on a pole and in it is the promise of God that I'm about to deal with human sin in the only way that it can be dealt with. I'm about to not overlook it. I'm going to pay for it with my own innocent life. And this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But before that happens, this has to be the sin of the world that takes away the Lamb of God. This is the death of the Savior. And uh, 
people say to me, I didn't get much out of that sermon on Sunday. And I'll say, really? You didn't get that the Son of God has come to trade his life that you might be alive? That you might finally walk through a door and approximate what God always wanted you to be? That he would set you free from sin? That he would take your guilt? That that shame that has eaten your sack lunch your whole life can be washed clean away and God would be right to do it. He's not just pretending. It is right. It is going to be gone. It is going to be washed away. And so he said to Nick, let's talk about a dead snake. Would you, would you look at that, my brother? Now, I don't know if you've ever really been a, a, a good person, played that game. You, you, you do all the rules and you basically think you're good. It's hard sometimes to admit. Like Paul said in Romans, you teach people not to lie. Do you lie? You teach people not to hate. Do you hate? See, God looks at the heart, not your outward performance. And my stars, can you clean up the outside? You can get that pretty clean. But you can never answer, there's something still wrong in my heart. There's something still wrong in my heart until Jesus comes to take that place. So it talks about a dead snake. It's the same message. And then Nicodemus left. Without any overt profession or indication of what he was thinking, the Lord knew and just waited. But one final picture before he walked away. He said, verse 19, This is the judgment, my brother, that light comes into the world and that men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. At the end of my life, I will not answer, and none of us will, for all my sins. I will answer instead that God in his mercy came to help me and I either did or did not receive it. He shone light in a dark cave, and I either moved toward that light, even knowing that I was going to be seen when I got there, or stepped into the light, or I stayed away because I, I, I was too ashamed, too afraid to be discovered. Uh, in a moment, we will all have that same opportunity to move toward the light. This morning... If the Lord shone light on your path, would you move there quickly? Would you just go immediately into that light? Would you take each step of progressive revelation? Would you move this way? And then would you move this way? Would you keep moving? Because your intention is to live in the light of God's truth. Uh, in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to say that. Second Peter, it's at the bottom of your um, listening sheet. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain that he has called you and he's chosen you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Um, the way you make clear, the way that you prove that you really are the Lord's is that as he continues to speak to you, you continue to move with him. You, you have a real relationship with him that he calls you. Jesus used to say, my sheep hear my voice. They, that's just how this is. They hear me and they respond. Let's pray together. Gentlemen of the deacons, you please prepare. You just get ready for this supper. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I, we see now that it, there's no way you could have made it any clearer. Um, uh, human hearts cannot be made well by human activity. There is no way for me with dirty hands to clean, cleanse my hands. 
But you have given this great offer that you would do that in your son. And now my single duty is to trust those words and move toward you in faith. Give grace for me to do that not once, but many times over the course of my days. Uh, make me truly yours. Call me again and again into holiness and life.